and <clears throat> it was on the news a lot. Uh, there just seems to be pervasive fear. I don't know if you've picked up on it, but I've picked up on it in a significant way. Uh, almost, it's similar to after 911 uh, and the collapse of the towers. There's just this pervasive fear. You hear it on the news. Uh, you, you hear it in people's conversation. It almost is tangible in that uh, people are afraid. And if you listen to those who say they know a lot about the economy, I don't know if anybody really knows how it works, they actually say that it's this fear that's the real problem. And because people are afraid, they're not buying investments, they're not spending, they're, they're cranking down on loaning money, and so it's the fear, you know, presidents once said, uh, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But this fear has gripped our nation and it's gripped the world. And we're seeing before our eyes, it, uh, it changed the world in, in ways a lot of people didn't expect. I believe that this is a time when men and women of faith can rise up and become a significant influence in our communities. All right. And as the people around, I believe that this is an opportunity and we saw it, and our nation responded, the people of faith responded in an appropriate way after 911. But that was so evidently an attack, and there was a clearly defined enemy that we could unite together. There were prayer meetings. We were part of a group of churches that, uh, the first time ever, Western's uh, football stadium was used for a non Western uh, Michigan University event in which we uh, we gathered together, uh, I forget how many churches, 60, 70 churches, gathered together to pray for our nation. And, and all over the country there were prayers for our nation. But I'm, I'm kind of sensing now that the church doesn't know how to respond. Uh, they're, they're, they just don't know it. They're clueless. <clears throat> I believe it's a time that where we can respond, and it's a tremendous time of opportunity to be a voice of hope and faith and confidence in the time that the structures that the world is built on are collapsing. Okay? And that's the time when men and women of faith can stand up and, and offer and demonstrate an alternative that's solid. Okay? That's stable. That's reliable. Instead, often Christians are caught up. They're consumed with fear or accusations instead of faith. You know, they want to play the blame game. God never plays the blame game. Serious. The enemy is called the accuser of the brethren. If there's accusation, it's always from the enemy. God will come in judgment. He doesn't have to blame people. He will set it right. And so we get caught up. So in order to be lights in the midst of this crisis... We have to be settled ourselves. And I have a few things I'd like to share and just speak into this situation um, and uh, hopefully give you some hope. There are uh, a little, uh, quite a few scriptures I'm going to read, and I encourage you to make note of them, and maybe you can read them during the week and study them and, and learn how to apply them to this situation. We're going to begin with uh, Psalm 27. And the first response a Christian should do is not give in to fear. All right. There's a temptation. The enemy is presenting a situation. We all know what temptation is when we're on a diet and there's a hot fudge Sunday in front of us. <clears throat> all right. We all know what temptation is. 
You know, when someone is attractive and we're tempted to lust towards someone that we are not allowed to or not should not. You know, we know what that, that carnal temptation uh, is. But right now, the enemy is presenting a temptation to fear. It's like the boogeyman. Oh, it's all going to fall down. You know? And I'm like, it's all going to fall down. <laughs> yeah, it's like, if we don't do this, the whole... I'm like, no, it isn't. People are still going to get up and go to work, eat, and you know? Uh, but there's this temptation to fear. The enemy is using these circumstances. I'm not saying that circumstances aren't real or they're not significant. What I'm saying is that the enemy is coming in and using this situation to stir up fear. Because his interest is to break down your faith and to dis- destabilize you and to make you an ineffective witness for Christ at the very time when people are most open to hearing a message of hope. Got it? So don't give in to fear, rather fear the Lord. Psalm 27, I'm going to read the whole thing, I think. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Need any more? Okay. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this, I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord. See, what's your desire? What are you, what are you desiring? There's one thing the psalmist said, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me, protect me, keep me safe in His pavilion, in the secret place of His tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. See, this is a biblical response, a faith response in a time of crisis and attack. Okay, how does the psalmist respond? Speaking forth his confidence, worshiping God. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, praying, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Responding to the call of God. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Uh, When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That means while you're yet alive. Okay? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That's the biblical response when the enemy comes and tempts us to fear. Psalm 46. Listen, it's constant on the television. It's just obnoxious. It's like they just want to stir up fear. 
Don't give in to it. Stand up to that. Don't listen to it. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be moved. Be removed. (laughs) We're all floating in space. No problem. (laughs) Though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Wow, look at the Rockies. Splash. Though its waters... Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with swelling, there is a river whose streams will make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. We're seeing this now in our life. Nations raging against one another. And the kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice and the earth melted. God comes onto the scene. I don't care what Kim does in North Korea or Osama bin Laden does wherever he's hiding in some cave. I don't care what Putin does in, in uh, Russia or whoever is sitting in the White House does here. When God comes on the scene, ain't no challenging His authority. <clears throat> the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. And then this is it. This is the response. This is our application. Be still. And know that I am God. I says the Lord, will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of uh, Jacob is our refuge. <clears throat> and uh, Psalm 118. Verse 4. Let those who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. The Lord, I called on the Lord in, the, in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. Whose side? That's pretty good. God's on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. I have God as my helper. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. You can have confidence. The response is rather than fearing the situation is to fear God. All right? Is to come to the place where we have such awe and admiration of God and an awareness of His power that the situations that present themselves in the earth are like, you know, they're just, we're just little kids making trouble. Yeah. And it's like brats at school, but when dad shows up, they fall in line. That's the way it is. We have to have that confidence. Second thing, first thing, don't give in to fear, fear the Lord. Second thing, don't put your hope in governments. Hope in, hope in the Lord. 
As long as I've been alive, I've seen uh, there always seems to be a crisis. There's always a looming crisis. All right? There really is. If it's not one war, you know, when I was growing up, it was the Cold War, you know, and the Vietnam War. And let me tell you, what's happening now compared to the Vietnam War, I mean, Vietnam War, they were dying by the thousands every day. It was like a slaughter factory. You know, it was to the degree that it was, you're numbed. And the Vietnam War wasn't to be compared to the World War II, where they're dying by the tens of thousands every day. This is unbelievable. <clears throat> but there's always something. I was there in the oil crisis, uh, the oil embargo, you know, when Jimmy Carter changed the speed limit to 55, just, just as I started driving, I was like, darn, of course I ignored it. <laughs> you know, I remember lining, being in lines to get gas, okay, cars down the road uh, waiting to fill up the gas tank and, oh, energy crisis, oh, terror, you know, everybody was afraid, uh, I remember reading articles about the looming ice age. <laughs> Imminent. Imminent. In your lifetime. You know, and now, oops. <laughs> no, that was way before that, man. It was crazy, man. Everybody was convinced. We were going, we were going right into an ice age, and all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. They changed their mind. It's not an ice age. It's global warming. Okay, global warming crisis, energy crisis, this crisis, that crisis. Listen, all of these issues have importance and need to be addressed. You know, uh, I remember the pollution uh, that, uh, and I'd, I'd forgotten this. <clears throat> I'd totally forgotten it because it's been so gradual. But when I went to the Ukraine, I was, uh, after being there for about a week, I kept having this cough, <clears throat> a lingering cough and this smell. And it was like... There was something familiar about this smell. <laughs> and then it hit me. It's like, that's what it used to smell like when I was a kid. It was the car exhaust because they use leaded fuel and they don't have the, you know, America is like hyper clean compared to the rest of the world. And so it was just the car exhaust fumes uh, because they build engines like we used to build them back in the 60s. <laughs> and it was like, wow. Then it was like, ah, it's like the. Like being a kid. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and then coming back to America, it was like, man, this is amazing. I mean, when I was a kid, smoke came out of the back of most cars. <laughs> you know, that's, how, that's, how, that's what made it go. <laughs> and now you never see a car hardly ever that has smoke coming out and then something's wrong with it. And we've made tremendous advancements. And that's great. Um, but there, uh, what happens is, and what, the point I want to make is that People use these uh, these issues um, and they exaggerate them, either the people or institutions that are in power or most often the people or institutions that desire to be in power. And they use the situation to stir up a crisis mentality so that they can manipulate people through an emotional reaction. That's how they do it. And at some point, you have to get old enough or smart enough or mature enough to say, I'm not letting you yank my chain anymore. Thank you very much. Something needs to be done? Yeah, something needs to be done. Let's get something done. But don't yank me around. And <clears throat> this is part of um, 
of putting our hope not in some institution or government, but in the Lord. All right. Psalm 118 verse 8 said, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. Stinging. They, they were quenched like a fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. Every human institution ultimately will fail. Alright? If Jesus doesn't come back, someday some kid in some country will be reading the history of the rise and fall of the United States of America. Alright? And they'll go, wow, that was pretty interesting. You know, and take a test and then forget about it. Alright? <laughs> and who knows? You know, I hope it's not my life. I hope the United States, I love the United States. I think it's a great way to, to, to run a, a country. It has strengths, but it has weaknesses. I don't put my trust in the Constitution. You know, I, I happen to agree with it. I think it's the best form of government. Uh, uh, you know, it works in our situation. Uh, but it's not what I adhere to my faith to. I put my trust in the Lord. My confidence is in Him. Uh, because every human institution, no matter how good we try to make it, ultimately will fail. It doesn't mean... Now this does not mean, and this is where some people of faith may make the mistake, they become pessimistic or isolationist. They draw back. And that's not the proper response. It doesn't mean don't be involved. Get involved. Uh, it does mean that we're circumspect. That we're uh, cautious. And that we, we lean on Christ. We lean on God. And so when, when something we're leaning on, a, a carnal institution, a man-made institution gives way, we don't fall. We may, oh boy, I thought that was stable, but it wasn't. And so we, can't, we can be let down, but we can't be let down very far. Are you hearing me? Because we're leaning on God. Not a political party. A political party may better represent the values that we stand for. A political candidate may better represent uh, the uh, views that we stand for and a different party or uh, candidate may uh, less better represent. But neither one of them or any of them perfectly represent. And frankly, I don't have a lot of confidence in them, but I have confidence in God. I don't care who it is. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm not speaking on... Uh, and the particular candidates, particularly. <laughs> Starting to sound like a candidate now. <laughs> you can ask my preferences later. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Isaiah 30. This is good. Oh, man, I got to hurry. I only got five minutes. I got all the time. I... Yeah, right. Tell the, ki- tell the kids, people in the kids' ministry that The nation of Israel at the time when Isaiah wrote this was in a political, economic, and military crisis. Sound familiar? All right. Assyria to the north was threatening to invade them. Egypt to the south 
uh, was a possible alliance, uh, but demanded uh, tribute and, and akin to servitude, all right? So world, two world powers, Assyria and Egypt at the time, itty-bitty Israel right in the middle, used to be a big player, now not much of a player, just happened to be on the trade route between two major civilizations. And so it was an economic <clears throat> crisis because war with Assyria, Egypt, or war between Assyria and Egypt would destroy their economy. And so they were right in the middle of all this, trying to sort it out. And politically, some wanted to make an alliance with Assyria against Egypt. Let's ally ourselves with Assyria against the protectors from Egypt. But another whole bunch of people wanted to make an alliance with Egypt against Assyria, you know. So there was this, all this political debate, man. It's been going on for thousands of years. This is what the Lord said through his prophet, verse 1 in chapter 30, Isaiah. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. And specifically, he says, who walk uh, to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the strength of Pharaoh shall be your shame and the trust of the sh- in the shadow of Egypt shall be your humiliation. And so God was saying, listen, you're... Those of you who think you want to uh, ally yourself with Egypt, that's wrong. But the real problem was that God's people were not listening to God's voice. Because at different times, God did tell them to, to ally themselves with different world powers and to do different things. The problem was they were trying to figure this out with their own intellect. or They were trying to figure a political solution. And God was saying, listen, your problem is a spiritual problem. And a political solution is not going to uh, solve a spiritual problem. I think in America we have a spiritual problem. All right? <clears throat> and uh, whatever way the economy or politics go, this spiritual problem will, will still be here. And we need to have, we need to have the answer. All right? Uh, because we are the voice of God. We are the body of Christ. They, the Israelites were not trusting in God. They were trusting in a political maneuver. Jump down to verse 15. This is the point. This is the point here. The Lord God, the Holy One of Israel says, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. Oh, crisis, crisis, crisis. Oh, big giant armies, all this stuff. And God says, you know what? Just calm down. Because your salvation is returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. Because the Israelites were not doing this. He says, this is, what, this is the solution, but you wouldn't do it. You know, in returning to God's promises, literally, the Israelites, don't go to Assyria, don't go to Egypt, go home. You know, the promised land. And we need to return to God's promises to us and rest. Not relying on our own strength or power, but relying on God's provision. In quietness and confidence. You know, a lot of times, all the time, Every time there's any kind of crisis, somebody's going to stand up and say what God's point of view is. Unfortunately, often it's not has anything to do with God. It just they're using God to uh, uh, support their opinion. <coughs> Amen. <laughs> Many people invoke God's name during a time of crisis, but most often only to endorse their own agenda. And you need to be careful of that. All right, let's be mature. Always seems 
to stir up more fear and uncertainty. Listen, the fruit of genuine trust in God is in this verse right here. Quietness and confidence. Alright? If what or who you're listening to does not produce in you quietness and confidence, then it's probably not of God. If what you listen to, what you read, or what you're buying into stirs up fear, anxiety, and ah, that's, that's the key. That's the indicator light on your spiritual dashboard saying that's not God. Because God says, come to me. Quietness, rest. Psalm 146, do not put your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day, his plans perish. The Bible says, happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord. Don't hope in government, hope in the Lord. Finally, don't trust in riches, rather trust in the Lord. Psalm 62. You're all saying, I ain't got no riches to trust in, brother. (laughs) Psalm 62, verse 5. So I tell people, I haven't lost a dime in this financial crisis. (laughs) So, although I understand how it's going to affect everything. Psalm 62, pardon me, verse 5. For as a young man... Oh, wait a minute. It has nothing to do with it. Huh? Psalm. Oh, I'm in Isaiah. <laughs> That's what I get for using this old technology. <laughs> Psalm 62. <laughs> really, the only time I use this is when I preach. I, I use this every other time my computer. Uh, Psalm 62, 5. <clears throat> my soul waits silently... For God alone, for my ex- expectation is from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. Uh, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. <clears throat> Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of low degree, that means poor people, are a vapor, And men of high degree, big important people, and rich people are a lie. I like that. I think of that whenever I see someone that's wealthy and powerful. If they are weighed on the scale, they are altogether lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression nor vainly hope in robbery. If, If riches increase, don't set your heart on them. Okay? God has spoken once, twice I've heard it. That power belongs to God. All right? God has the power to increase riches. Don't trust in it. Okay? Mark 10, 23. Matthew, Mark 10, 23. Jesus looked around and said, to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished at his words. Huh? But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who, he elaborated, trust in riches. 
to enter the kingdom kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter uh, the kingdom of God. And so it's, the issue is trust. And in First Timothy chapter six. Almost done here. First Timothy chapter six seventeen says, "Command those who are rich, I command you, in Jesus' name, not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold." of eternal life so you know if you it's actually more difficult for those who have financial uh uh, resources to not trust in money so if you have if you're wealthy it's harder not to invest your soul into that and uh i know this i often talk to my friend in hawaii who's a millionaire and he he talks about it all the time he's people who are rich they get caught up and uh uh, but people who are poor can make an idol out of wealth. Okay, they don't have it; they want it, and they think that's the solution to all their problems. It's not. It's just a. It's just the source of a whole new set of problems. It really is. Now, yeah, God wants to bless you. He wants you to make you financially secure, but it can become a form of idolatry. But finally, uh, the point here we all need to take away from this is every one of you sitting in this room is rich compared to the rest of the world. Okay, we just got to accept this. We cannot you're not going to dodge this. I'm warning you when you're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, you're not going to be able to get around this because you're wealthier than 99 percent of all humanity that's ever lived. King Solomon could not walk in the mires and buy something from the other side of the world for a few dollars. Okay, King Solomon, wisest man on earth, man, you have Google. (laughs) I'm not joking. I mean, it's funny, but we have at our fingertips the more, the more knowledge, the resource than anybody could have imagined possible even 50 years ago. And it's free. It's just amazing. You know, <clears throat> we have so much. Now, one person compares that, that if you, if you have uh, drinkable water, you're wealthier than the majority of people in the world. Because most people in the world, they don't have clean water to drink. And so um, uh, uh, what we need to remember is that we don't compare ourselves to the person down the street or Bill Gates or somebody on TV, all right? That's the temptation of the enemy. We need to step back and say, wow, I have so much. And this will enable you not to put your trust in money, but rather put your trust in the Lord. And it should motivate you to be thankful, to be generous, and to be confident and to be at peace. Okay? Conclusion. Don't give in to fear. Fear the Lord. Don't put your hope in governments. Hope in the Lord. Don't trust in uh, riches. Trust in the Lord. And I'm going to turn it over to Sarah to do some announcements. Thank you very much.